Side with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from a basement in a suburb of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, I'm sweating, Andrew. I'm, I'm a sweaty man. But I'm happy to be with you as you look as un- unkempt as, as I've ever seen you. See, I, I've been telling you how I've been letting my hair grow and I'm doing it unabashedly. I, I don't care anymore. And I actually, I pushed through that period of time where, because usually I keep my hair very short, as you know, and I, sometimes it gets to that, like, you need a haircut spot. Like, is it long? Is it short? And it's awkward. It, I think it makes people around me feel uncomfortable. I pushed through that though. And now this is the longest my hair's ever been. And I think it's, I think it's working. You don't. No, I, um, I absolutely, it's way better than your uh, Clint Dempsey 2005-esque buzz cut that you used to have. Yeah, I know. Your I was going for it, it was a Dempsey look that I wanted. And, and for, former New York giant, O.C. Umanura, I once met him and he's a big soccer fan. And he told me, he said, you know, you kind of look like Clint Dempsey. And I was like, oh, my God, this this is happening. All and now you, have, now you have a helmet of hair that could absorb a tackle from Osu Manura right now. That's a great point. But uh, enough of these lot, No, we have a lot to get to uh, on this podcast. The, uh, the U.S. women have been speaking about uh, some potential changes that they would like to see happen to the national anthem policy, an issue that we talked a lot about on last week's podcast, La Liga is on the eve of a restart so we're going to have our kind of it's weird to call it a preview when you've played 27 games of a season but sort of like a uh previously on this is la liga uh we'll have that coming up um and zlatan ibrahimovic said something jj earlier this week that i thought was very interesting because uh, oftentimes he's the last person that i would put in the category of sports stars really are just like us but he said something that kind of made me feel like zlatan ibrahimovic is just like us so we'll get to that later in the podcast as well but Oh, the big story. MLS has now made it official, their return plan. It is in writing. There's a lot to get to. And to talk about it with us right here, right out of the gate from Yahoo Sports, back on the show now, it's Doug McIntyre. Doug, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? We're good. We're happy to talk to you again. There's a lot to digest uh, with what Don Garber and MLS has come up with. And I guess I'll just start with the question that was kind of on the forefront of my mind. and. You know, sometimes I wonder about my own questions and then they're validated to me when I hear them from other people. And so this is kind of a thing that I thought and then heard from others. And so I figure I'll start with it with you. Uh, so they say they want to have this tournament or they're, they not want to have it. They're going to have this tournament, but then they're going to have the season or they want to have a season following the tournament as well. And I guess the question that I've been hearing is, well, if that's the plan, why not just have the season what is i'm not saying i dislike the tournament but what what is the purpose of it when you're planning on having a season anyway yeah i mean it's a it's a good question i think you know we've obviously already missed 3 months of the of the 2020 season so the, the season started on i think it was february 29th they played two rounds of games and then everything shut down so um, there are markets or at least one market i believe where mls teams are not even allowed to train let alone you know, play games. So it's a matter of if you want to play games anytime soon, you're going to have to go, you know, the one way to do it. And we've seen the NBA's announced plans to do the same thing is to go to a central location and play all the games in one place. And Florida 
has, I mean, been really a free for all in terms of what's been allowed down there. We've seen, you know, UFC down there. We've seen other, other sporting events begin there. And, um, you know, that's, I think that's what the MLS brass was thinking in, in putting this thing together. Um, the league obviously has a longstanding relationship with ESPN. ESPN is owned by Disney. The, the you know, wide world of sports was available down at, uh, in Orlando. Um, and there's, you know, more, more hotel rooms in that part of the world than, you know, maybe any other place on earth. So if you were ever going to do it anywhere, it seems like this is the place you would do it. Um, but there are, you know, there are a lot of questions. The players had a lot of questions, um, a lot of concerns. Garber, Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS said on a conference call today, they would, they would like to have started earlier, but they had to work through some of those issues. Um, not the least of which was getting a CBA ratified. I mean, you know, a little more than a week ago, we didn't know if MLS would lock out its players. So um, all that's been taken care of. And, and now it looks like this thing is happening uh, beginning on July 8th down in Orlando. Doug, of the concerns that maybe still haven't been ironed out or, or maybe were floated during the conference call, what, what were some of those? Well, the one thing I, I really wanted to ask, and I wasn't the only one to ask, is there's been a lot of talk about you know the way to keep players safe is to keep them in a bubble, keep them together, isolated. Um, teams are going to stay together. They'll they'll be in you know their own floors of the hotel, and the only time they'll have any contact with with anyone else, any other teams are are during the matches. Um, so, or at least you know if they're in the hotel and everyone's being tested all the time, which they are, um, they'd be able to control that situation and, and make sure that you know there's there's really very very minimal risk of anyone catching COVID during this tournament. Um, but my question concerned some of the folks that are also going to be around the players, whether that's servers, whether that's bus drivers, um, the folks that clean the, the hotel rooms, all these sorts of things, which are things that, you know, the league has had to work through and convince the players that, no, you know, based on all the medical information we have, that's safe. And, and you know, that's basically what I asked Don Garber today. I said, you know, how you talk about minimal contact with players while, well, you know, a bus driver is going to be on a bus with players for, you know, the 20 minutes or however long it takes to go from the hotel to the fields. And he basically said, you know, according to the info that we have from our medical personnel, the risk of any transmission in a situation like that is, is, is low. So that's uh, I mean, that's what they've had to sell the players on. The players agreed they're, they're on board again. The NBA is, uh, is looking to do the same thing. There was news just before we, we started recording guys that, um, the NBA would not require players that didn't feel safe and, and want to play in this in their the NBA's tournament to play in it, and they wouldn't get paid, but they're not being forced to. And MLS has taken a bit of a different route. It wants all its players to to play, with the exception of of people that have underlying health conditions, uh, players whose wives may be expecting. Uh, Carlos Vela, the reigning MVP of the league, is is the most obvious example. I don't believe he's going to play in this tournament. Um, so, you know, there, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting workaround. It's certainly not perfect, but I mean, if you want to see MLS games this, this summer, uh, I think this was the only way to do it. And, and, you know, this is what they're doing. Doug, I'm curious, most sports over the past few weeks or so, basketball, hockey, most prominently among them have come up with some agreement to get back to playing again. MLS and baseball seem to be the last two baseball, of course, is still going, we know some of the holdups there, prorated salaries, the number of games. Uh, with MLS, you know, you're talking about some of the safety concerns. Do you know of what were some of the, I guess, the more prominent holdups to getting them back to playing again? 
Yeah, I mean, so, just some of the things. Well, for, there was a lot of issues actually. I mean, there was there was the money component. So there was, and you guys know this: the the, the league and the players had agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement. Um, by all accounts, it was the most amicable negotiation that the players and management have ever had. Um, they agreed on it in you know well before the season started, but they didn't get around to ratifying it when you know by the time the world shut down and the the owners basically went back to the players and said we we need to change some things and that that obviously didn't sit that well with the players but they didn't have much of a choice really so uh, they've had to make some compromises certainly some bad feelings now coming out of that negotiation and you know again it's just some of the things we talked about like the players wanted to know that they were going to be safe once the money part was sorted out players agreed so I think it was a seven and a half percent pay cut across the border in that range the league originally started out with a, a pr- proposal of a 50 percent pay cut uh so you could see how how you know contentious that that, that negotiation got um but yeah the the, the union submitted a, a, an enormous list of questions to the league that its its constituents its players its membership had saying look these are the questions we want answered and it, it took a while for the league to get back to the players with answers that were satisfactory enough to get them to sign off on it. Uh, Doug, just on the, I suppose, the housekeeping of it or, or how it's going to work, there's there's one point of, of a little bit of confusion, certainly from, from our listeners and people I've been interacting with on Twitter. The, the group stage, the points system that will then play on in to the regular season that we expect to happen later on, how, how is that going to work? So my understanding is that the... So every team is guaranteed three matches, very much like a like a World Cup group stage, identical for the most part, barring the number of teams. You know, twenty six teams in MLS World Cup is obvious. Men's World Cup is obviously thirty two teams. Women's World Cup twenty four. Um, but every team will be guaranteed three games, and only those three group games are going to count towards the regular season standings. So the knockout stage, which it will be exactly like the World Cup, sixteen. 16 teams advance, straight knockout competition until you have a winner. Those are almost considered playoff games. And, and those, you know, those matches will be to play to win the competition. There is a berth in the CONCACAF Champions League on the line. And there's over a million dollars in prize money for the tournament. So, you know, those things are, are supposed to incentivize teams to, you know, to, to take it seriously, to play their best, their best teams. I have to imagine there'll be a lot of squad rotation given the number of games. Um, concern for injuries, of course, five substitutions allowed, as we've seen in the Bundesliga, as we'll see in the Premier League when it comes back. Um, so again, it's just, it's very strange. It's very different than what we're, we're used to seeing. Um, but it, it should be fun. I mean, three games a day, guys. I mean, watching an MLS game with your, your Cheerios at nine in the morning, I think will be fun. Two games at night, uh, every night for the first, I think it's the first 16 days of the competition. So, you know, we've been sports starved. We'll have lots of, lots of games to watch. I don't know about the quality of those games, uh, you know, <laughs> given a whole host of factors, not least the fact these guys haven't played in, in months. So, um, you know, again, not perfect, but, uh, you know, it, you can't let the perfect get in the way of the good enough in a situation like this. Doug, I'm, I'm just curious, and um, I don't know how you feel feel about this really, but is there a chance that if this is successful as a, as a little tournament, that it kind of usurps what comes after it? Because you, you know the way it is. You see fans arguing over which, well, the supporter shield is more important and it's better because it's a proper league and it's over X amount of games. Whereas if you win the playoffs, anyone can do that. Could there be a whole new row amongst MLS fans between uh, MLS's back tournament winners and MLS Cup proper winners? Well, there's no, I mean, there's, 
MLS fans love to argue about anything. And I think that goes for sports fans in general. They're no different. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I actually hadn't thought about that. Um, but, but no, I mean, I think that, I think that it's going to look a bit strange. I mean, this is a made for TV product, but you know, unlike we've seen in the Bundesliga where teams are playing in their own stadiums, these are These matches are going to be held on practice fields. They're going to look like training games on, on television. And I know the league is working to enhance the broad broadcasts. However, that means whatever that means, whether it's miking up players or different camera angles or different access than you would normally get. Um, but it's not going to look like a typical M- MLS game. And I think that, you know, the plan is to get back into MLS stadiums in the fall when it's safe to do so, when it's allowed by, you know, municipalities across the country. And, and even then, I mean, the game, the games are not going to have fans. The stadiums are not going to have fans in the seats. Um, but to me, that's going to be a step closer to normalcy. And those games, when they're actually in stadiums, uh, you know, I think that starts to look more like the real thing to me. And uh, hopefully by the time MLS, MLS Cup is played, which, will be in December or even later, potentially in the new year, the 2020 MLS Cup in 2021. Um, you know, I think with any luck, this this whole sordid episode of the last few months will be in the rearview mirror even more than it is now. Yeah, it's just interesting, though, because like this, this tournament is such a break from the norm of what we know MLS to be. Uh, you know, I've been talking with JJ the past couple of weeks about, you know, how is this going to be received? You know, like, will people take this seriously? And JJ kind of verbally smacked me back down to earth last week and said, just forget about all that. Who cares? If you enjoy it, just enjoy it. And I'm wondering, have you heard from whether it's players or other media members or coaches, like how is this being received among many of those who are involved? Yeah, I think there's two parts of it. I think there, there are the safety concerns. There are, I mean, players are not happy to leave their families for a month or or six weeks for the teams that, that reach the final. That's a long time to, oh, to be away from young children, um, you know, from, from, from loved ones. And it's, it's not going to be easy. So no one's excited about that, but I do, I do know that players and coaches are excited to get back on the field, to play games, to do what they do, you know, like all of us. And, you know, we're lucky we can still work, but a lot of people that haven't been able to work, they want nothing more than to, to, to go back to, you know, to work, to feel productive, to, to do what they're trained to do, to do what they get paid to do. There's the mental health aspect of it that I think is important as well. So these guys want to play. They're soccer players. You guys know athletes. They're built to compete. They don't do well sitting around for long periods of time. So, you know, the, the games will be competitive. Again, I don't know about the quality and how sharp they're going to be, but I, I think guys want to play. And, and you know, athletes are risk takers by by nature and they're not, I don't think they're too worried about getting sick, even though they need to be, and they need to be protected from themselves in, in, in some ways. And every precaution has to be taken to ensure their safety first and foremost. But, you know, these guys are itching to get back on the field, um, even if, again, it's far from a perfect situation. Uh, one more, actually, one more on this for you. So just to be 100% clear, the first two weeks – of MLS that happened all those months ago, those have disappeared into the ether. It's no, like it never happened. No, no, those games still count. Every team, oh, I, good. I believe every team has played two games. I don't have the, the standings in front of me, um, but the my understanding is those games will count. I mean, look, they're looking at, there's no way they're getting a normal 34-game regular season in this year. I think when they come back, they'd be looking at probably an 18-game season. That's that's what I've heard, and it's a changing situation. So they're going to want to have as many games count as possible. And 
So yeah, the, all the, the games that have been played so far in the regular season will count towards the standings as well. The three group games. And then once the season resumes in the fall. Good. Cause I just wanted to make sure that Jacob Glesnes's goal for the union against LAFC did not disappear forever. That needs to have meant something. Um, and then last question for you here, and this is kind of, this is an unrelated note, but uh, we referenced it a little bit at the start of the podcast, you know, obviously over the past couple of weeks, the world is, is changing right before our eyes. So U.S. soccer has had this policy in place with regards to standing for the national anthem, and the U.S. women want it changed. Is there any sense as to how this is going to play out here? I know the U.S. women have even called for U.S. soccer to apologize uh, to their black players. Is that is U.S. soccer prepared to go to those lengths here? Well, U.S. soccer has repealed its anthem policy. I actually just filed a story on it. It's been reported by the New York Times. Grant Wall broke it about an hour ago on Twitter. So it has been, it has been repealed. There is no longer a requirement that national team players stand for the national anthem. I'm awaiting the statement from U S soccer. It might've landed in my inbox as we're talking, when the show comes out, everyone will know if that apology is included or not. I don't have a good sense whether it is or not. Um, The the times reported that it wasn't a unanimous decision. So I thought that was interesting. Um, But yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I wrote a column about it last week and, you're right. The world's changed a lot in the last the last couple of weeks, and it's changed a lot in the last four years uh, or three years since that rule was implemented. So, um, you know, U.S. soccer has new leadership, and I think they were eager to show that, you know, that they're going to be willing to listen to and support their players. And if their players, if this is something their players want, not just the women, the, the the women's national team players, by the way, this is something the men the men wanted too. So. Um, you know, they're responding to their players and they said they'll support their players. And I think that, you know, that's what all sports organizations should be doing, listening to the people that that actually wear their colors and, uh, you know, making sure that their voices are heard. Good stuff, man. We'll let you check your inbox. We appreciate the time. Actually, I do have one other one for you that I just thought of this. uh, So with this MLS restart, uh, on a personal note, what does this mean for for you, for people who cover the sport? Are you going to be do you guys even know if if journalists will be allowed at the sites for these games or is everything going to be done remotely through zoom calls how's this going to work for you guys really good question i mean i'm i'm pretty sick of zoom calls like I sh- i'm sure you guys are it's great to see you guys by the way so not, <laughs> not personal. um but uh no i mean I, I think that there's gonna be journalists that go don garber said that they're working on a plan to make sure that people can go and cover these games I have no idea how willing organizations are going to be to send journalists to, to this thing. Um, I'm not going, I can tell you that. I, I would be, you know, under, you know, obviously I, I you know, cover MLS, I cover MLS Cup. Any any big games, all-star games, I've covered the league for a long time. Um, but we're, we're going to continue, I think, to sit this one out and, and cover it remotely and with the hope that, you know, once we get back into stadiums, um, you know, journalists will be able to be in the press box. But, it's pretty far down the, the list of priorities, I think, for everyone right now. I mean, there's no reason not to cover these games from afar. Um, there's no reason players won't be available on Zoom or on the phone because they're going to have a lot of free time on their hands. So, uh, you know, that's it should make it easy, if not, you know, not easy to do the job, but possible to do the job um, safely, which I, I think is is important. But I got to tell you guys, I can't wait to actually get out to a soccer field and and, uh, you know, see a game and smell the grass and, and, you know, speak to people that I've covered for, you know, covered for 
a long time. I really miss it. And, um, you know, I like you guys can't wait till life gets back to normal. Oh, my God. You said it, man. Well, hey, this was fun catching up. Uh, we appreciate the time as always. We'll have to do it again soon. Thanks so much, Doug. Take care. Anytime, guys. My pleasure. Cheers, Doug. Thanks so much to Doug McIntyre. Good to talk with him again. It's been, uh, man, it's been too long. Um, excited, I would say, for uh, MLS coming back. This is, you know, we've been talking about it, but now the details are out there. I was not necessarily expecting to see that there was going to be a season after the tournament, but I guess I'm I'm good with it. The only worries that I have with that, uh, well, there's a couple worries that I have. You tell me what you think. Um, first off, there's there's news just as late as today that coronavirus numbers in Florida are yeah. beginning to spike again, specifically in the Orlando area. Um, so, like, I don't want to be the doomsday guy, but where will we be a, a month from Look, now? Uh, so let's just ho- keep our fingers crossed that this and, all and there's happens. Good, I could, well, I mean, if it does happen there's good academic work that's being put together that suggests that, you know, if there is a surge in the fall, it's more likely that the regular season gets canned. It's probably this tournament may be it. We are really in the unknown territories right now. So I don't want to speculate on anything. I'm a little bit surprised about them having the regular season. I do wonder how that is going to play off against each other. Well, we're the MLS's back tournament champions. There's some people who will value that way higher than either a supporter well maybe not supporter shield but like i i don't know ah. i actually don't know how it'll play out in the mind of an mls fan but if this is fun that the fondest memories maybe of of this tournament rather than the adjunct um, ancillary uh kind of regular season finish that we have i i really i i have no idea but i'm willing to be completely See, open what- and just try and enjoy it yeah with regards to the tournament i've been thinking more about it and you know, I keep obsessing over how this will be. You are how this like will be viewed. Staten Island. But, but hear me out for a second. You, you are <laughs> being. Stop, how dare you? You are being that a sports a caller. How dare no, you? You know. No, 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 but just listen for a sec and tell me if this makes sense to you. I, I, I think that sometimes with stuff like this, we can't really know how we'll feel about it until we're until we're in it. And by that, I mean this: when the FA Cup is happening. Like when a team's run in to be to like an FA Cup title involves beating like a League One team, a League Two team, a Championship side team, and like a lower, you know, like a bottom half of the table EPL side, like that FA Cup title doesn't carry the same kind of weight to me as if you know you had to beat Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Arsenal, something like that, if that's even realistic. I'm just saying, like, if you have some run-in like that, if this MLS, if this back to, I forget what they're calling it. The uh, MLS is back tournament. Right. (laughs) By the way, come on. I mean, guys. Like, (laughs) but anyway. Somebody got paid a million uh, dollars to come up with that. Right. But, like, if, if the winning team's route through this is having to beat you know, like a Toronto team that sends all their best players, an LAFC team that sends all their best players. Although, like Doug said, we don't know what Carlos Vela's status. Like, I think we we won't really know what to make of this until we see kind of like who's playing and how the road to the final actually looks for these teams. If they had to really beat like full squads of, of good teams, it's, it's just hard to know right now. Or if this is going to be treated like a preseason tournament, like the Champions Cup before – 
you know, an EPL season, is this going to be treated like some tune, some tune up for uh, the MLS I, I think, to come? We don't, I think visually one of the big yet. problems is the way it's going to look. Like Doug said, these are training fields. Uh, I'm telling you right now, if you had a problem getting into Bundesliga and empty stadiums, good luck with this. Good luck with it. It's going to look jarring. Now, I, now I can hear. Yeah, the the NBA is going to have to deal with that I don't, too. I don't know what it. You um, just have to accept it, get on with it, and really throw yourself into the soccer. But enough of this. We got too much to talk about. Yeah. So I did want to talk about one other thing that we spoke about with Doug just a couple moments ago. Now, uh, with regards to the national anthem policy, like he said, in the last hour from the time that we're recording this, the the repeal has happened on the policy. I have not seen like this is happening in real time. I have not seen statements yet from U.S. soccer. So I almost feel a little bit weird talking about this. Um, if like what wound up happening is flying in the face of what I'm saying, but I, I just want to ask you, like, I think we all know, we all knew where this was headed. Uh, even last week talking about it, that a repeal of, of their policy was going to happen. Um, the U S women asking for an apology specifically to the black players on their team. I was very, I'm intrigued to see either what has happened there or what's going to happen there because um, I don't know how easy that is for any governing body of a sport to admit wrongdoing. Like we saw the NFL and Roger Goodell kind of lay out the template for how that could be handled when the NFL players came together and demanded an apology uh, from the NFL towards Colin Kaepernick. And Goodell talked about standing with them uh, in their stance, but not necessarily going quite as far he, as they had asked by apologizing it, specifically. He, he, he did as much as he had yeah. to do. He had to respond to those top-ranking players coming out and saying what they said, and, and he did respond, but he never mentioned Colin Kaepernick's name. He, di- he didn't cross that Rubicon. And, and I think um, U.S. soccer is in a much uh, better position than Roger Goodell is right now because U.S. soccer can point to a previous regime and say, we look and we acknowledge the mistakes of, a, of of our past. They can do it very easily. They can do it in a nice PR-driven way. They don't have to get into the specifics. I think they'll be okay in that regard. What I would say about, I mean, the writing was surely on the wall in the past week when you've had, you know, I mean, I feel as if the discourse has moved on so much from, from, uh, from protests. Like, it, it's gone beyond that right now. We've had Weston McKinney, albeit in a German publication, openly criticizing and calling the president of the United States a racist. And we've had, uh, um, previous to that, we've had Michael Bradley saying similar things about the president of the United States. This has moved on so much. And I, I honestly think the, the policy of, of U.S. soccer towards, towards kneeling and that, I mean, it just seems antiquated right now. I mean, that ship has sailed. When you hear Roger Goodell, well, Roger Goodell say "Black Lives Matter," I mean these things are unthinkable. Were unthinkable. Yeah, but, right. But I, I do think I actually believe it's important for them to take it all the way. I think, and if they want to point to a previous regime, fine. I wouldn't necessarily make that clear and obvious in the way my statement is worded, or whoever comes out and and puts a video message out there. I mean, what is the harm of in this moment just saying we were wrong? And we Nothing. are sorry. 
Like just, just, just do that. And you know, nobody is then going to pounce at you and say like, see now people need to be fired now. Like, no, you're apologizing. You're writing a wrong. And I think it will allow players who felt bad about this to, to be able to move forward and feel more comfortable. When, when do large organizations do that, Andrew? Rarely. That is the thing to do, but you've seen a whole host of corporate entities in the past 10 days, suddenly tweet out Black Lives Matter, put up a black spot on their corporate Instagram. These, Where were these organizations in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick started this? You know, it's very easy after the fact. Organizations will do whatever, whatever way the wind is blowing, they feel. They'll go in that direction. And now they're not afraid to say Black Lives Matter anymore. And so they will. And I think U.S. soccer will be, will be no different. But if you want the magnanimous, sorry, not magnanimous, the largesse of, of a fulsome apology, I'd be surprised if you'll see it. Yeah. Well, you know what? One thing that's encouraging with what you just said there, um, you're right. Like everybody kind of waits for it to be safe before they do stuff like this. They like, like you just said, the words you used, they want to see which way the wind is blowing. And I'll just leave it at this. Thank God the wind is now blowing in this direction where like now the safe action is to come out in support of this movement. You know, like that was not the case four years ago. Uh, A lot has changed not just in those four years, but in the last four weeks um, for the wind to pull a, an entire 180 the way that it has. So uh, I, I hate that it took what it took for us to get to this point. Um, but it now, I, I feel like people are now are now trying to like figure out which side of history they're going to come down on. And, and I think that, you know, I'd like to believe that these statements and these feelings are genuine and sincere. Um and they and these companies and these individuals are trying to make sure that they land on the right side of history. And that's it's important that history is headed in that direction, that they believe that putting out a statement like that is going to get them on the right side of history. I think that even that in itself, I'm, is I'm currently rewatching goal. Bobby Kennedy for president, and it shows his journey, Andrew, from being a member of uh, Joseph McCarthy's, um, you know, investigations into communism and his journey all the way through to the civil rights movement. And along the way, huge changes in, in in his views. You know, this is the man who announced the death of Martin Luther King after being the man who had wiretapped Martin Luther King before. That journey, is it's a constant journey. It can't be f- for the next two weeks. It's got to be for, for long term. And I hope everybody takes that on board. Yeah. One other thing um, sort of tied to this. I also wanted to mention something that happened this week with Mainz in Germany. Uh, so apparently, if you know more about this than I do, butt in at any point. But apparently a fan posted something to the effect that he was canceling his membership with the club because he believed that Mainz were now fielding too many black players. Um, and the club became aware of this. And then Mainz posted this um, on their official Twitter account, the, the message, a message that read, not every canceled membership is cause for concern. Sometimes we're relieved. Absolutely. I mean, by the way, just just to give you a sense of of how this conversation has moved from these shores to around the world, but particularly to to Britain and the league we talk about the most, which is is the English game. Um, Raheem Sterling appeared on BBC's Newsnight, which is the equivalent of our what's our biggest news show, would you say, Andrew? Uh, 
60 Minutes. That's a news magazine. Anderson show. I don't Cooper, know, Anderson something Cooper. like that, to discuss yeah. racism in the UK and football's lack of opportunities for BAME managers. Uh, Darren Bent did an interview for um, Darren Bent, ex Spurs, uh, did an interview with a major UK tabloid. And in it, he suggested that up until he was 28 or 29, so only a few years ago, he heard humor in club locker rooms that was overtly racist. Um, Daniel Story. Um, who's been on this podcast, wrote an article on how it's 12 years since the last black referee, Uriah Rennie, refereed in England's top flight. Think about that. And right now, there's no black referee in England's top flight, and there's no black referee in the English Football League. None. And yet, black players make up one-third of the playing population in England. And right now, John Barnes is probably still on Twitter arguing that he did not get as long at Celtic as a manager compared to other unsuccessful Celtic managers because he was black. Gareth Southgate, he said, I know that I got an opportunity at Middlesbrough when I wasn't qualified. That came because I had worked at the club and the owner knew me. But I couldn't say that opportunity would have been there for somebody else. And I think we are all very conscious of it. And he talked about getting rid of of white privilege in soccer like this is a think about that look at all those different examples this is a conversation that has been sparked beyond the shores of this country and it's it's really asking people questions wow um yeah so we'll continue to talk about that and uh i'm sure u.s soccer will have some sort of statement if they don't already that we'll we'll certainly talk about uh next week JJ, a couple other things that I do want to mention here. We'll get to La Liga's restart in a couple minutes. But first, uh, Chelsea appear to be closing in on a massive signing. Timo Werner of RB Leipzig. Um, I mean, this is potentially huge. He's scored, what is it, 31 goals and 41 appearances in all competitions this season. He's still extremely young, although it feels like he's been around forever. Um, He's in his early 20s. Uh, Like, wow. For, For a club that could be losing Pedro... And Willian, uh, I mean, I think we're starting to see that, you know, they've been linked with um, Hakeem uh, Zayek as well. Well, they've bought Hakeem, they've bought Zayek. Right. Havertz, they've been linked with as well. Um, so for a club who was like a year ago at this time dealing with a transfer ban, I mean, and we were wondering, oh, maybe this is a new Chelsea now that'll be dipping into their. Uh, no. no, no. I mean, I mean, this is a, a huge signing. Um, like you said, and they're buying a bona fide star, Andrew. This is not, you know, a player that is, this is an established footballer, one of the brightest in European football. And they're getting him for $62 million, which again, it, it, considering how things have contracted and the way the transfer market is and the way clubs are struggling right now, that sounds grotesque, but it really is a bargain considering his, um, his reputation. And they're getting it from under the nose of the reigning European champions and soon to be English champions. It's it's huge for Chelsea. It's going to be so interesting to see how Frank Lampard utilizes um, Timo Werner. But I mean, he was so. Uh, most Liverpool fans thought this was a done deal, and and for for Chelsea to to come in and gazump them, and for Chelsea to be willing to pay him, you know, a reported two hundred thousand um, pounds sterling per week. Think of that. Um. That's that's an incredible amount of money. And, you know, my questions about Abramovich's commitment to Chelsea have been answered, um, yeah. I think, in that yeah, signing. But so, we will yeah. talk a little bit later in the mailbag about how that may affect Sir Christian of Pulisic. 
Yes, a lot of American fans are going to be interested in that. Uh, the German Cup, the DFB Pokal, has been going on the past couple of days. Uh, Bayern Munich defeating Eintracht Frankfurt earlier today. Um, and just yesterday, Bayer Leverkusen advancing as well. Uh, so I believe that final is on the 4th of July. Nothing more American than taking in a DFB Pokal final. Yeah, July uh, again... It was the Munich show for the first half. In fact, they, the game should have been out of sight. It wasn't. Um, you know, it, that allowed Eintracht Frankfurt to equalize. But really, Andrew, the game should have been over at halftime. And, and, and Bayern Munich, the, the juggernaut, the Hansi Flick machine, uh, just rolls on. It's, it's getting a bit predictable, yeah. I must say. Yes. Uh, let's see. La Liga, we will get to the restart previously on La Liga in just a moment. But first, JJ. Uh, I do want to tell you something about next yes. week. Uh, America's ready to get back to work, but to win in the new economy, you need every advantage to succeed. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, you'll have visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, uh, e-commerce, and much more. Everything you need all in one place. Uh, whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. You'll have the agility to complete uh, to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen. NetSuite surveyed hundreds of business leaders and assembled a playbook of the top strategies they're using as America reopens for business. Now, here's the deal. You can receive your free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now, and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash offside. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash offside. Netsuite.com slash offside. Bloody love NetSuite. They are Uh, the favorite of what they do. Let's see here, JJ. La Liga, the restart. All right, so here we go. Um, It begins, I think it technically begins tomorrow, um, depending on when you're listening to this. Thursday, I think, is actually uh, a first game that is kicking it off. Um, but whatever. Uh, you and I have gone through yeah, this. Tomorrow at 4 o'clock, it's going to be up. Sevilla and Real Betis, yeah. which, which should be a tidy little game. Oh, my. Yeah. Jeez, what a way to come back. Uh, oh, man. What a shame, though, that like this is stating the obvious, but it's another one of these massive dir- – it's like when the, when the Bundesliga came back with Borussia Dortmund and FC Schalke. Uh, and not being able to play that in a building with you need people. to get over you need but to get on with your nevertheless life, okay? come on I can't be the only person who sees that that dar- that, that that Sevilla Betis derby is happening without Andrew, like, and, that that's on that is a thing that I Andrew, can say without Andrew we're going to have a something. massive Premier League preview for next week right are you just going to keep saying oh that's a game I wish there was crowds in you can't keep doing that you can't I mean. The Merseyside Derby is, is like right out of the gate, Absolutely. and that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate that there won't be a crowd for it. That's you know there was concern over that they almost moved it to a neutral venue because the the crowd was such an issue for that. There were there were fears that people would be congregating outside. Like that's it is a story, but anyway, whatever. It's not the story. You and I have come. We've come together on this, and we've sort of got our our joint list of the three things that we're intrigued by, looking forward to. Well, however you want to phrase it, uh, as La Liga gets set for its restart. And the first one, really, um, it's kind of the title race, but specifically Lionel Messi's role in it. Um, now, 
I guess just to catch people up here for if you've forgotten Barcelona, they're going for the three-peat. Uh, they are in first place right now. They have a two-point lead over Real Madrid. Um, but there are questions, of course, about Lionel Messi. So he has been sensational this season, as is the case with Lionel Messi every season. 19 goals, 12 assists. Uh, but in the last, what has it been, in the, like, the last week or so, he's come down with some fitness concerns, although – uh, Kike Setien, their manager, has come out and said that he is, quote, perfect. Well, there was a training uh, video today where he looked devastating. But that's not my point about this. So, like you said, Barcelona have the two-point lead with 11 games left, and all they need to do is just match Real Madrid's results, and Real Madrid can't catch them. But La Liga has now become this sprint, and it's turned into the EFL Championship. There's going to be a game... Every three days for Barcelona, at most four days. That is grueling for Messi, who's like 33 years of age. He's missed the two training sessions with a tie injury, as you said. Um, everyone wants to see Messi play. There's no, like, I, I, I'm not wishing injury upon him, but should he struggle? Surely that opens the door to some interesting and spicy possibilities for Real Madrid. Yeah. It certainly does. Now, one thing before we get to the Real Madrid side of this, Luis Suarez um, is back for Barcelona. Uh, and, you know, their management change that they've had, like, I just wonder, is that an advantage for Barcelona that they've had time maybe to, to for Kike Setien to study the way he wants them to play? Uh, or is it even worse that it breaks up whatever flow uh, that he was maybe starting to develop with them? I guess. I don't know. I feel like raising questions like that is almost pointless because this is so unprecedented that it's really hard to know what any of this it, means. It's, ver- it's very hard to know. Uh, I, I'd kind of go with, with the fact that not so much tactically, because as you know, Messi will dictate how this team plays a lot. We've seen how much the, the team defers to him, but like a rest at this point in his 30s for someone like Luis Suarez is, you know, it, that's that's no, no bad thing. A rest for Messi, although we're talking about that injury as well. It's very hard to know um, match fitness is a huge thing. You know, they're going to come back and it's going to be interesting. No team will have, I think every team's going to struggle, as we've seen in the Bundesliga, from being that little bit rusty and the quality will shine through. We saw that in, in the early games in the Bundesliga, certainly. And we saw, I mean, we've consistently seen it with Bayern Munich. So I'm not so sure it will, we, we, we don't know for sure, but I think Barcelona's quality should shine through if everyone is fit. And that's why it's so fascinating to even consider the possibility that Messi may have a knock going into 11 games in, in, in a very short period of time. Yeah. One thing that is worth noting though, you say if Barcelona match Real Madrid's results, that then they go on and win the league, which obviously we know. However, uh, in the event of the teams being level on points at the end of the season, Real Madrid would win the league on head to head goal difference. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. Barcelona does have to finish technically with more points than Real Madrid. They cannot be level at the end of the year, which is certainly possible. They're only separated by two points right now. Now, looking at the Real Madrid side of this, it kind of leads into our our second point here that we're intrigued by, and that is the unexpected return of Eden Hazard, who you may remember got off to a a, a pretty poor start well, with the club. Uh, <laughs> reported out of shape. Suffered, Sorry, it was funny. He he came back like me or you come back from from a vacation. Yeah, yeah, it didn't 
it was it was visible to the I, to the human eye. Those training videos last different. August, there was a gut. Come, I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. No, there's no way around it. You're right. Um, then he suffered the ankle injury, came over to the United States, had surgery in Dallas, and that was what we believed to be the last we were going to see of Aiden Hazard in the 2019-2020 season. And then a pandemic happened. And now he has a chance to kind of rewrite the script of what this season is for him. Um, and it's interesting because, I mean, by all accounts, he's come back in training and he's looked fantastic. He had a hat trick in a, in a recent practice game for whatever that's worth. Like all of this is qualified with that as, a, as kind of like a statement, whatever that he, you take this for whatever you want it to be. Um, but it's just interesting to me that now Zidane has a decision to make, not only with him, but with uh, Marcos Asensio as well, uh, a guy who suffered an injury early in the year against Arsenal. Was that, that was a preseason game, I think, and was supposed to have been done for the year, and now he's back. Uh, and so Real Madrid could be gearing up for this title race in a way that was just not expected. Yeah, uh, and AS reported that the Belgian's physical state has surprised club medical staff and he has looked sharp enough in training to suggest that Zidane may be inclined to start him against Ibar. <laughs> I mean, talk about talk about being handed Amazing. a second chance to rewrite. You know, we know what it's like at Real Madrid. You've got to make an, an impression immediately almost. And he hasn't really done that. I mean, Andrew, his focus was at best, making it back from Euro 24, Euro 2020 when he got injured. And now he's got this chance to kind of rewrite things. Again, you know, fitness, he won't have played very much when he goes into these games. But 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 I saw pictures of him today um, where he was running and he was doing fitness work and he looked a million times better than he looked um, coming back in, in August. So... I, it's a huge boost and a huge chance for him. It's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see if Zidane pulls the trigger on him. Yeah, it's kind of being positioned as almost a Hazard or Vinicius decision that Zidane is going to be faced with. Um, I mean, right now they could. It, it's just funny because they be, they could be coming out with a front three of Asensio, Benzema, and Hazard. Two of the three of that were guys who had been ruled out for the season, and now here There's they another are. Another factor as well. Bale is supposed to be in magnificent shape. I mean, I think that means something, but I don't know what Zidane thinks of him. I don't know. I mean, a downhill running bail against rusty players. Oh, yeah. I think he's I great. I, I, I actually, I kind of, fa- there's something in me that fancies Real Madrid to do something. Win it. I'm trying to think if I would, if I were to make a pick right now, uh, I might agree with you. And it's it's strange to kind of have that viewpoint on it with Barcelona. Like Bar- Real Madrid has spotted Barcelona two points for this final run-in. I mean, normally you take Barcelona with that, like, hands down. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I might agree with you. Uh, and then finally, JJ, the, um, we want to talk about the battle for the top four because, I mean, some – some good teams are going to miss out on this. Now, I want to go through what the table looks like uh, right now with respect to that. Right now, Sevilla are third on 47 points. Real Sociedad 
uh, and Getafe are both tied at fourth and fifth on 46 points. Atletico Madrid right now are down in sixth on 45 points. And then Valencia still in it at 42 points. Um, I don't know where you want to go specifically with this, but I can tell you that the Atletico Madrid storyline to me is an absolutely fascinating one because, yes, I know all about the fact that they were a club in transition, more than most. I know you could say the same in some respects about what Barcelona were this year and Real Madrid as well. But Atletico Madrid, I think more so, having lost you know, key players of, their, of this recent Simeone run-in, most notably Antoine Griezmann. But I'm sorry, 31 goals in 27 games is rough. It's not acceptable for a club that, just, that still has Saul, that's, that shelled out over 100 million euros on João Felix. I mean... 31 goals in 27 games. Levante right now have 32 goals in that amount of time. They're 13th in the table. I know that they want to play defensive style, and I know they lost Griezmann. Yeah, I understand all that, but I'm sorry. The, the, the players that they have on that team, they're way better than what they've been performing at this season. And we just have to wonder now, they've just beaten Liverpool in the Champions League. Like, were we just getting to a point where we were going to start seeing the Atletico Madrid that we were expecting and maybe kick on and take this? Uh, this it's amazing how that spots. that victory over Liverpool has kind of reset the narrative somewhat. Like, there's no escaping the fact this has been a really disappointing season, as as you laid out. Um, and here's something we don't talk about on on the podcast at all. I don't think it's ever come up. Do you know how much Diego Simeone earns? As manager, uh, he's no. the best no, paid manager in the world. He earns forty-two million euros a year. That's a fact. You, you, you have to verify this, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Andrew is googling as we speak. That's a fact, and we have a perception of Atleti going back to the Jesus, uh, the Jesus Gill years of them being the plucky upstart. You know, they got relegated. They came back up constantly trying to nip at the heels of their illustrious neighbors across the way. But they have a brand new stadium in, in which there was a European Cup final played in only last season. They have a new training ground on the way. They pay their manager a superb amount of money. And they are out in the market buying young talent like Joao Felix. This season has been a real disappointment. And you're right. If somebody like, we'll say, Real Sociedad or even more, it would be even worse if, if you know, Hitafe pipped them to a top four spot. This would be a huge embarrassment for Simeone. How? How is he on that He's salary? Very, he has been, think of his... His CV is very I mean, good, Andrew. It's very good, but but it's so non-competitive with no, like it's, any other of the highest paid managers in the world. It's, that it's grossly it's out of proportion to anything we've seen. <laughs> and also, I mean, I guess they, I guess they just revere him and are so so. What's the word? Just so nervous of him leaving for a, another club that they. They just cannot ever allow money. Well, to I do be believe, and I'm not sure, but I do believe that contract was signed in the midst of the interest from Chelsea one season. And then the following season, the rumors of Arsenal, like the Premier League looms large, has loomed large for Simeone for ages. But one of talk about <laughs> leveraging and all it's incredible, right? It's just incredible. And um, if you look at how relatively small, I mean, tiny. 
Hitafe are and you look at Sociedad are such a a kind of I mean they're you know they've got good history don't get me wrong I'm not disparaging them but I mean they're nowhere compared to the the money that's being pumped into Atleti that that's why the top four races is like really really interesting yeah I I sneakily want to see you mentioned it's funny you mentioned specifically Sociedad and Hitafe um you know I kind of want to see Sociedad do this. And I don't know at whose expense. Um, I'm not rooting against anyone in this race, but they have some extraordinarily talented young players. They're really fun to watch. I guess the sad part would be if they go on and find a way to remain in the top four, they're fourth right now. Like, will they just be pillaged heading into next season? And then you mentioned Hatafe, the other side of the coin here, who for however much fun watching Sociedad is Hitafe are kind of the total opposite. I guess they're more of like an Atletico Madrid model of just defend, you know, some people will call it dull. Others who are maybe more appreciative of that and their own fans may call it pragmatic. Uh, choose whatever word you want. Um, but I guess I would, I don't know. I sort of, I'm not a purist in that way. I don't mind a nil nil. I don't mind a defensive style. I understand why teams do it, but I kind of want to see the team that plays a more open, fun style and associate that. Well, just on Odegaard, as far as I know, he's on he's on loan from Real Madrid. So, I mean, they're still Real Madrid. Ultimately, when he if he continues to to develop like that, Andrew, you're right. He's going to end up at at Real Madrid. I mean, to talk about uh, uh, if there was a young player that was vaunted for ages. I mean, he he signed for Madrid at an incredibly young age. So yeah, he will definitely go back to them. I mean, Sociedad will have no choice in that. I got to ask you, do you sometimes watch La Liga and consider the Basque teams? And because they're kind of different, they're almost like a country within a country, you kind of root for them a little bit. And Sociedad kind of come into that bracket. I kind of do. For uh, Is that like yeah. a reason that I root for them? I don't know. I don't want to No, I like the, the fact thing, that they're... But- not well, I, I, I like the fact that they're kind of, you know, they're the outlier. They're certainly the hipster's choice. That's for sure. Uh, let's see. So that's about it. Uh, unless you have anything else on the La Liga nope, restart. Uh, we do have, we'll close out now with a, a nice mailbag um, here. Cutoffsidepod at gmail.com. Keep the emails coming. Uh, Cutoffside ESPN. Follow us on Instagram. I demand that you do this. And um, where else are we on, Andrew? Oh, at Pod on the Twitter machine. So please follow us all in all those social media aspects. It keeps me sane answering uh, your lovely texts and DMs and all that stuff. And also, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's too long since the last one. Let's start Let's start ramping up the old iTunes review machine again. Uh, Jonathan Sanchez starts off, um, which MLS team does uh, JJ support? I don't I support don't any of them. I, I've enjoyed trips to oh. Portland to see them play. I've enjoyed, I actually enjoy um, covering the Red Bulls, like going going to their games. I like their ground. I like the press box is close enough. You can smell the grass. It's 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 nice. Um, but I have no, I don't support any team. It's, it's too much. I support Liverpool and Sligo Rovers, my local team. That's, I mean, how could I possibly invest in, uh, I mean, none of the New York teams do anything for me. Um, I actually, I used to enjoy going to the Philadelphia Union games when I lived in New Jersey. So I suppose I don't support the Union, but I actually, do you know who I support, Andrew? The great construction men of MLS grounds. I think uh, I've said before in this podcast, the uh, Talon Energy Stadium is one of my favorite visits in uh, in American soccer. So there we go. Uh, Jezzamine, 
I'm sure that's the exact answer that well, Jonathan. Well, he's a he's a New York City FC fan. He'd be part of their ultras, and um, I'm sure he was hoping that I would say I support them. But I have very little. <laughs> A little uh, love for their outcrop of City Football Group. Jasmine, thanks for the great wow. show. I especially appreciate how you have addressed COVID and the Black Lives Matter protests. In your recent discussion of soccer returning in England and the US, I just wanted to remind you that the NWSL is coming back on June 27th for the Challenge Cup in Utah. I'm so looking forward to it and I hope you're able to cover it. Thanks from our cheers from Idaho. Idaho, the home of America's finest potatoes. Um, Andrew, N- NWSL was actually the first pro league to announce that it had got its ish together and they'd figured out a way to do a tournament uh, with the Challenge Cup. And um, I was doing a little bit of reading up on it today and I went down a, a very strange rabbit hole. I went down a rabbit hole of trying to predict because, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah is at altitude or a certain amount of altitude. And I'm wondering which teams will do well and which teams won't do well in this challenge cup. But as I, as I read on, uh, I discovered that Megan Rapino, and it seems Kristen press will not play for their respective clubs in this tournament. Um, and also from reading the salt Lake tribune, that's the rabbit hole. I went down quite a few games will take place on artificial turf, which is not good considering the objections that national team players have had to it in the recent past. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate, certainly. Um, I saw this from Fareed Benstiti, who is Megan Rapinoe's coach with the rain. Uh, he said, I understand her motivations, but I am disappointed and frustrated that she will not be with us to compete in this tournament. Uh, he said this to Les Progress in France. Uh, he goes on and says, Megan is important to the group and we could have achieved something big if she had joined the rest of the group. She will be missed by the team and also by women's football. I mean, reading between the lines there, that is a manager that is not happy that he will not have her. And Kelly O'Hara uh, went back to training for Utah and today or in the last week, I believe. And I think I, I, I don't think there was any, uh, certainly no stated reason why Kristen press is not back playing, which again, I mean, you're going to want your stars playing in this tournament. And I like the idea off the bat, but now seeing that the surfaces that they'll be playing on for at least the initial stages and then seeing top players not being involved, that's that's not great. Yeah, look, I'm not going to condemn any player right now for for not taking part in No, they were given the option. competitions. Like they Yeah, they and they have their reasons, whether it's the turf, whether it's some other safety concerns, I don't know. And I don't think that the, either player has made it clear no, they haven't. why they're not playing. Um the only thing I will say is that, I mean, let's let's be honest, it hurts the credibility of the tournament if the best players are simply choosing not to play and not because they're injured or anything like that. They're just, they've just chosen not to. Like that, that lends itself to a tournament to me that doesn't scream, you know, credible champion. Um, having said that, I still look forward to it. I still plan on watching and I, I hope other uh, national team players take part. I want as many great players there as possible. But yeah, the, some of those key players. Um, Emmanuel Brion, who is the player that you that you wish your club never sold? Oh my I mean, god! For Tottenham, it's a laundry um, list. Oh my god! <laughs> Where does one be? I mean, look instantly when that question gets asked, my gut is to say uh, Gareth Bale and Luka Modric. 
just because it felt like Tottenham were on the brink of something. Um, and to have lost those players, it was it was such a setback for them. Now, in the end, it might have wound up producing something better uh, where they had a managerial change. Pochettino winds up coming in and the rest is history. But, I mean, those are rough. I mean, if for Tottenham, yeah, you could go back a ways and say Pat Jennings, who was probably their greatest ever goalkeeper, who I think they right. thought was finished. Uh, and then he went to Arsenal and played eight more seasons there, and he was clearly not finished. He was but, still but, very good. And guess what a good guy uh, he is. He works for Tottenham now. He loves them. He he yeah, always considered yeah. himself a Spursy. Yeah, uh, Saul Campbell obviously is one that you can't help but think about. Although I would say that they didn't really sell him; his contract expired. What about Paul Gas going to Lazio? Kind of betrayed them. Uh, yeah, um, I, I was. And then one other one. This is kind of more of like a sentimental one for me. Um, I don't know that it really changed much of the club's trajectory. But it always, like, in a weird way, just because I, I loved Ryan Mason. I love his story of how he broke through after all his years uh, on the youth teams. He finally broke through, um, became a first-team player for them, and then wound up going to Hull City. Uh, and he still – and then he suffered his injury, his head injury there, which ended his career tragically. Um But his love is still so clearly with Spurs. And even though Pochettino, you know, sold him, he he had such love and Pochettino had such love for Ryan Mason. I've heard them both speak about it. Um, But yeah, that's one that I, I, it just always felt, I don't know, felt wrong to me that he wound up playing for another team after them. I felt like he was, the way he talks about the club now, you'd think he's just like Spurs through and through, which he is. But that was, that was one that always bugged me. Yeah, for me, it was Steve McManaman going to Real Madrid it kind of made me realize that, yeah, Liverpool are a big club, but you're not a big club anymore when you're... It was the first of, like, there was McManamum and then there was Michael Owen, and we seem to be losing these these top players, um, which was just evidence we weren't what we what we used to be, and it was kind of hammered home by those transfers. Um, also, Robbie Fowler, that one hurt a lot. Um, that Robbie Fowler left was wrong, and I, I, I really resented Gerard Houllier for allowing that to happen. And um, I actually got to talk to Robbie Fowler about that a couple of years back when um, at a preseason game here in, in New York, and I said how it was it was just terrible. And um, he said if he had, had had his way, he might have stayed, but he just realized he wasn't going to get playing under Gerard Houllier consistently starting, and um, that's why he ended up at, um, at Leeds United. Um, Kerry King. And no, uh, real quick, no uh, Suarez. Yeah, but those n- those came afterwards, Andrew. Like the initial blow of losing Steve McManaman made me realize Torres leaving was dreadful. Torres was worse than any of them because Suarez wanted out. Like, and I know Torres did secretly, but he never stopped training. Like, like the year we went on the title tilt. I mean, that summer Arsenal had made that bid, and and Suarez had dug his heels in that he was trying to to leave, and there was the whole. Um, Arsenal bid forty-two million and a dollar just to trigger his his buyout clause, or to attempt to trigger what they thought was a buyout clause. Um, but I I kind of I'd accepted Suarez was leaving, um, but McManaman when I was like a teenager it was oh, it was hard to take. Um, Kerry King, kind of random, but I've been listening to an Irish soccer podcast lately, and they were reminiscing about the O2 World Cup qualifiers tournament. Got me curious about Jage's memories of that time. What are your memories of the Irish O2 qualifying World Cup, World Cup campaign? Well, I mean, this is all overshadowed by one thing. Um, we had in, in the qualifying group, we had Portugal and we had Holland. And nobody 
I won't say nobody expected us to get out, but people thought it'd be tough. Two teams, the group winners would go out and the, the second place team would go into a qualifier, um, a playoff game. And so we actually performed brilliantly and we didn't lose to Portugal. We didn't lose a single game in qualifying. And uh, we ended up second in the group to Portugal. We knocked the Dutch out in the penultimate game. We beat Holland 1-0 at Lansdowne Road. And Roy Keane just was this force of nature that that dragged a good team, but like was the leader on a good team and helped us drag through drag us through some some moments in qualifying. And then <laughs> we go to Iran and we beat Iran 2-0 in the in the first leg in Dublin, and then we go to um, to Tehran to play the se- and I mean the the atmosphere in Tehran in the second leg was unbelievable and we lost the game one nil but we go through two one and then of course Roy Keane has his falling out with Mick McCarthy right on the eve of the World Cup which was the biggest story of the 2002 World Cup by a country mile um, and it didn't even involve a ball being kicked the Manchester United captain uh, walking out and um, or rather being sent home a combination of the two really. And uh, you know what? We're going to go into detail on that someday before this pandemic is op- is over because I don't think people fully realize what it was like at that moment when Roy Keane um, left the Irish camp without kicking a ball in that World Cup. And um, things could have been different. We went out to Spain in the second round and had we had a leader like Roy Keane, I mean, Spain were there for the take and we lost on penalties. But yeah, if will you allow me to do a, a little piece on that at some point, Andrew? Yeah, not to go down the rabbit hole on it, but I in the time again that was a long time ago, and I don't know how how huge I know thanks how huge of a story it was in the U.S. I don't know, but I, I feel like I remember hearing that the Irish Prime Minister at the time was going yes. to act as an arbiter between the two to try uh, to Bertie Ahern the Thishuk, uh, who was the Prime Minister, did exactly that. He offered to be an intermediary. He was a Manchester United fan. He was a regular at Old Trafford, and he was going to step in like the UN and try and broker peace between McCarthy and Keane. The biggest, it is the biggest saga in Irish sport. It goes on to this day. The country was divided between pro Keane. He was right to leave and, and uh, anti and anti Keane factions. He should have stayed and played on. Unbelievable. I'll never forget that summer. Oh, crazy. Um, Marion Ra- uh, Radford, 333. Uh, I am worried about our boy Christian with Timo Werner coming to Chelsea. I know Werner likes to play on the left wing a lot. Please tell me our favourite son will still get a bunch of minutes, please. Andrew, you have the floor. Yeah. So I gave this, admittedly, I actually hadn't thought a ton about this. And then I saw the tweet and I kind of gave it some thought and I thought, well, their positions are different. So hopefully that won't be the case. But... JJ, this was in The Athletic uh, just a couple days ago. I'm reading now directly from the article. They say, um, they're talking about Timo Werner, and I, I kind of pick it up there. They say, along the way, he has built an easy chemistry with Yusuf Poulsen, the six foot four inch Denmark international who provides RB Leipzig with a more traditional focal point. It isn't hard to imagine Werner and Tammy Abraham interacting in similar ways for Chelsea next season. If they do, it could actually be Christian Pulisic who began to flourish as Lampard's secondary scoring threat from the left before missing three months with a groin injury, who faces the bigger fight to keep his starting spot. Um, so that is the athletic suggesting that Pulisic could be the player who misses out should uh, Timo Werner, should this all become official. Now, I guess the point ultimately that they're making is, you know, 
the idea of Werner and Abraham could potentially look a lot like Werner and Poulsen. And if Werner was so successful playing off Poulsen, Chelsea would be foolish not to follow that template and leave Tammy Abraham in their starting 11. So it bounces somebody else. Werner typically plays more on the left. That's obviously more where Pulisic has been playing for Chelsea. So you begin to look at him as potentially the odd man. I mean, it, it all depends on what formation he settles on. And, and we've heard a lot of rumors that in training lately and in whatever practice scrimmages they've been having, he's been flirting with, the, you know, he's been looking at 4-3-3. He's been, he's been looking at 4-2-3-1 or variations of that, which would, I mean, Pulisic is, he can play as a number 10. He could play inside, although I will admit I prefer him coming in off the left-hand side, making those runs inward, rather than I do having him in sitting in what would be a traditional number 10 role. I think if La- I think Lampard is going to play with a three, Andrew. And I wouldn't be shocked if Abraham is the one who misses out and he plays Werner down the center and he plays Pulisic to the left. And I think... I think... I... I'd love to get inside Frank's head right now. You know, I've chatted to him several times when he was over here. Yeah, we're uh, quick. Her, yeah. Um, but no, I, 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 I'm, I would be shocked if Lampard has looked at the statistics surrounding Pulisic and also his performances prior to the injury and decided that he's the odd man out in this. I think you could be looking at a, a pretty fluid front three along the lines of what Liverpool have. And that would mean, I, I, I and I think Pulisic can do that. And 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 Werner goes more central. Man, it would just be so frustrating because it really felt like he was finding his footing there. I saw a quote. I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I saw a quote from Joe Gomez, who um, was asked who the most difficult player was that he played against this season, and he said it was uh, Pulisic, specifically when Liverpool played Chelsea in Istanbul. Ooh, I don't know in the um, in the Super Cup. Yeah, and he referenced Joe Gomez said that Pulisic was the most difficult player that he had to face this season because of how he said just how slippery yeah, and, he was, and quick he, and he is. And he pulls uh, people out of position. He starts on the on the inside. He can and he can move out. He starts on the outside. He can move in. He's versatile across that line. And you you look at the way. I mean, Salah, Mane, and Firmino. The way they move. I I, I mean that's the forward line of the future of well of the present actually. And I I wouldn't especially in transition. I think that's what Frank Lampard likes. I, I think Frank Lampard was effusive with praise for Pulisic enough to make me think that he has not abandoned that project to the point where Pulisic becomes a substitute or a bit part player. Or at least I hope that's the key. Yeah. I hope. So. Um, and finally, Andrew, Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo. What do you guys think of Hercules Gomez comments on Mario Balotelli coming to MLS? Herc said that the league can be very bland and vanilla and that he can add his Latin-like quality to the league. Um, of course, this week, the news that he was locked out of training, Mr. Balotelli. So the, I mean, the emotional homecoming to the town in which he grew up with his adopted parents has soured um, and it appears as if he will be looking for a new home. Apparently, he he didn't, his uh, his insurance didn't cover him to come and train with the team. So, it seems as if they're they're looking for an exit strategy with Mario. Um, thoughts, Andrew? Before I give mine, uh, neutral. I don't think that MLS is in a place where they constantly need to have some sort of lightning rod. I mean, 
yeah, it can make things fun. I, I also don't think that Balotelli is as good as Latan, so I don't know if teams will be quite as willing to kind of whatever whatever you think comes along with Balotelli. Does that scare teams off if they don't think he necessarily has the I talent mean, to back it up? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I'm neutral on it. I could see a team taking a chance, but it's not. You know, it's not a huge. I mean, Herc was banging game. on about his stats in France, where he scored a goal every other game, which is pretty good going. But I mean, look, the way I see it is, if you look at Robbie Keane, Sebastian Giovinco, you look at um, David Villa, Joseph Martinez. I mean, those were unbelievable players that have come into the league and delivered, and haven't given you any of the nonsense that comes with Mario Balotelli, and fundamentally. Is having good players in the league not enough? Like, does the U.S. soccer fan still require this kind of buzz to keep fans watching the league? I mean, do you have to have a guy letting off fireworks and set in his bathroom and nearly setting his house on fire for the league supporter to stay interested? I just don't believe that's the case. I, I again, I, I mean, with Zlatan, what your point was, he absolutely delivered. He delivered, right. and he also was quotable. Outside of being, well, like, I mean, Balotelli isn't even that quotable. You know, the, the, the thing for Zlatan is, like, and ultimately, I think what Herc is is driving at is you do something like that, not to, like, you and I are in. Like, we're diehard soccer fans. We're sitting here hosting a soccer podcast. We're in, regardless of if it's Joseph Martinez or Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But MLS isn't worried about you and me. They're worried about casual fans. They're worried about, you know, a younger generation of fans who may need something like that to, to grasp onto. Now, Balotelli, though, is not Zlatan. Like, his achievements are not Zlatan. Zlatan came from Manchester, just having been successful at Manchester United. He was in the, the public consciousness of both, obviously, diehard soccer fans and casual fans alike. Balotelli is not that. So I don't think that – I just don't think that it's a like-for-like like comparison. I don't think that Balotelli, you know, his name will appear in lights the way that Zlatan's does – uh, when he comes here, even if Balotelli, if those antics continue, I think that like it won't, I just, I don't think it'll resonate the same way because I just don't think that he's viewed in the same sort of caliber that a player like Zlatan was. Um, so I, I think that it'll kind of almost fall on, on deaf ears. I don't think that it'll make waves in the way that maybe Herc is thinking. That's the mailbag, Andrew. Um, now, speaking of Zlatan, um, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, he would typically be the last person where I would say, wow, Sports stars really are just like us. But I found myself thinking that, JJ, when he voiced his opinion on how messed up the American youth soccer system is. He said this uh, to GQ Italia. It has to be said that the sport is expensive, very expensive. For example, in order for, in order for my children to play in a good football team, I have to pay $3,500 per child. It's not the figure but for the whole concept, I dislike it very much because not everyone has the money needed and the sport should be something for everyone because it unites people of whatever origin. It's absolutely true. And it's um, if people are looking for reasons why minorities have been locked out of, of U.S. soccer in certain parts, not all parts, but in certain parts of this country, that's a huge part of it. Um, yep. Conservatively for a season. And this isn't including gas. This isn't including food. This isn't including travel. So you can add them in afterwards, but conservatively, a season for a youth soccer player at the U12 or U14 level in travel will cost you $1,500. That's conservative. There's some clubs that run discounts. There's some clubs that if you um, 
if you send in uh, your tax return forms and you can prove that you're on hardship, that the club will look after you and waive those rights. But that's not every club. I mean, you cannot monetize a sport like soccer in that way at the youth level and expect to, you know, create a a grassroots environment that, that gives you the kind of players you need to be competitive against the Dutch and the English and the Germans. You just can't do it. It's simple as that. Yep. And um, it's good that Millionaire's Latan didn't, um, multi-millionaire's Latan mentioned it. Yeah. To GQ Italia. Wow. Very yeah, strange. What's wrong with that? Very strange. Yeah, you're right. Where's, where was Jeff Carlisle? How, how's Latan not telling him that? Unbelievable. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to mention, because I kind of mentioned this a few weeks ago when League uh, uh, announced that they were just ending their season, and that meant that Toulouse and Amiens would be getting relegated without really getting a chance to fight for the right to stay up. Um, I used to produce a show for Mike Lupica, and he used to say something in these sorts of situations. He would say, there will be lawyers. And sure enough, lawyers happened. And Toulouse and Amiens, who were fighting for the right for this relegation to be voided, uh, they, at least for now, have won. And their relegation has been suspended. Now, you're asking, well, what does this mean for the clubs who were getting promoted? In this case, it would be uh, both Lorient and Lens. Um, there's, it's unclear right now what's going to happen and what League 1 will look like next season. Uh, but there is talk of possibly expanding to 22 teams in the league next year. So both, um, bo- so everyone gets to be up essentially for it. Now, I don't know exactly what that means for promotion and relegation the following season, um, but I just thought it was interesting that we had kind of, like it kind of felt like one of those things where Toulouse and Amiens, they were going to fight this, but like these are crazy times. So, you know, you just have to roll with the punches and they were probably going to just get, you know, unfortunately get the short end of the stick, but no, they actually won. Um, and yeah, you know, I wonder if this could potentially set precedent for other leagues that stopped uh, before reaching completion. Well, um, there will be lawyers part two. League one, uh, Coventry have been declared champions and Tramere relegated as clubs vote for the season to end. Uh, Wickham will replace Peterborough in the playoffs alongside Oxford, Portsmouth and Fleetwood. Um, so League one and uh, League uh, League two have done the same as well. Um, and that's not being universally welcome, but that's the way it's happened. And, um, yeah, uh, I think we're already hearing about, uh, potential legal action in England as well. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That is our show. I hope everybody enjoys the restart of La Liga. You know, a week from today, I believe it's a week from today, JJ, the Premier League is, is back. Uh, so we will, of course, have a. It is indeed, Andrew. We will, of course, have a uh, previously on the EPL podcast out next week to get everybody refreshed and caught up so they can enjoy the uh, the final stretch run of the season. And that is going to be like you talk about with La Liga being a sprint. It's going to be very much the same with the Premier League every day. Fast and furious. It's going to be coming at you. So uh, fun. Soccer is back. It is really it is really and truly back. But I enjoyed this very much. Our thanks to Doug McIntyre for popping on as well. JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.